0: Welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one small slice of American writing using the Library of America as my source material. And in this episode, we're uh, going to be coming uh, very quickly now to the close of this series on the early novels of Willa Cather. Uh, We have looked at The Troll Garden, Old Pioneers, The Song of the Lark, and My Antonia, and now we are in... To uh, my examination of one of ours, uh, this will be the second episode of of my th- covering my thoughts on one of ours, a 300-page novel, so will require three episodes to look at. Um, this is Willa Cather's World War One novel, and I, I wonder if this was. Uh, a common trope in the early 20s, people trying to write about novels reflecting on World War One and different aspects of it. And this is, in any case, I don't know how wide that is, but there certainly are a lot of famous World War One novels. I don't know where this stacks with all of those. It's it's not written really um, from a soldier's point of view. The main character, I guess, is a soldier, but Will Cather wasn't a first-hand account. It wasn't like uh, Hearts of... Um, what's the one? Paths of Glory or... All Quiet on the Western Front, or what was the, the other novel? Uh, Johnny Got His Gun, the one where the guy is completely, you know, almost completely killed, but doesn't have any senses, but is just kind of existing, surviving in a hospital for the whole novel. So those are more f- straight from the soldier's point of view. This is, uh, you know, from someone who wasn't really on the front and, you know this this novel's been criticized in the second half for its it's more sentimental or more um, romanticized view of war compared to a lot of other novels uh, looking at at world war 1 now in cather's defense although i still have my criticisms of the novel in cather's defense that aspect of the story is part of this character examination of this character claude who is the Claude Wheeler, our main character, who is very rootless and restless and looking for some meaning in his life. And for whatever reason, he ends up finding that in war. Now, we don't have to uh, really uh, accept his path and his kind of... uh, fascination with war and the homeland and, and struggle and these things he gets when he goes to France but that's really I think she does develop this character fairly well and, and it makes sense that that's where this character um, lands um, unlike a lot of, of Catherine's other characters who who have this kind of rootlessness and they end up finding meaning in relationships or in a career or an art or something, this character really never really finds that so he's always much more abstract and nebulous and and that's what I think's troubling about the novel from a modern day standpoint because you know we got of course fascism is has this nebulous idea of will and and history as conflict and this kind of denial of the progress of the enlightenment and you could see claude falling into that had claude survived he's the kind of character you could have seen becoming a right-winger or a fascist or something someone really tied to land right now it's a bit ironic because he has the land his whole life uh, he, he's from Nebraska He's from a fairly successful farm family he even runs a farm for a while before going off to the war he marries a, a Nebraska girl and then that's still not enough for him so he goes off to France and there he, he learns from the French what it means to really fr- fight for and struggle for land. Um, But this focus on land and identity and and culture and tying these all together is something that happens a lot in the second half of the novel, and I think it's one of the more disturbing aspects of it from the perspective of what we know about modern fascism. How much of this Willa Cather was aware of, I'm I'm not really sure. Um, But anyways, I I already looked at the first part of this novel, actually more than the first hundred pages, maybe the first hundred and fifty or so, and that covered... Two parts one called Unlovely Creek and the other called Enid and this really covers the the teenage years and the young adulthood of, of Claude Wheeler and his courtship with different women eventually he chooses to marry Enid um, a woman who's really not suited for him unfortunately he just sort of marries her as a way to kind of get out of his malaise and his kind of feeling of restlessness and rootlessness she's very much a religious conservative interested in prohibition politics and this is something that alienates her from her husband in later parts of the novel also in there we really get an eye at his education and the various experiences he, go, he goes through so it's essentially a character study of this guy claude wheeler and his you know how he doesn't quite fit in in the world he he lives in he's he he doesn't have Really, the affection for the land that maybe her father's generation had, as the frontier settlement, the kinds of things we've seen in *My Antonia*, or or even *Old Pioneers*, uh, even *Song of the Lark* to a degree. She doesn't have that. He doesn't have like the business savvy. Well, he's, he's got some business savvy. And he's got some ideas for the farm, but he doesn't have, I guess, the focus. He doesn't get get excited by business the way his older brother does. He's not quite so practical, you know, in the sense that he could have made a a a happy life for himself just running a farm so ends up kind of and he fails his marriage so he doesn't really end up knows where knows where he's going to be so book two ends with his marriage to Enid and the beginning of their of their marriage and again there's not much to talk about in way of events it's just simply a character study of this of this man's youth um in this episode I'll I'll take a a brief look I, I don't know how much I want to talk about the the this section but um Book three and book four. Um, book three covers basically the breakdown of Claude's marriage with Enide, how she becomes more and more interested in missionary politics and particularly prohibition of politics, and how eventually Wheeler just kind of like sort of lets her go and go, lets are off. She goes off to China or something, and he doesn't really care that much. And in effect, Enid sort of falls off the story uh, for all intents and purposes. He rarely even thinks of her in the later parts of the novel when he's at the war. The other interesting thing going on in those sections, which I am going to talk about a bit more, is the kind of the, the pressures and the conflicts of, of an immigrant society and a nation at war. Um, you know, you had the American frontier. In fact, all of America was incredibly diverse, people from all over Europe. But those Europeans in the mid nineteen teens were at war with one another. Uh, Quite a devastating war, a total war requiring the total loyalty of all the members. Now, what does this mean for the immigrants in America? For some, they could really detach themselves from their homeland. Maybe they were second, third generation. They didn't have that kind of emotional tie. For others, it, you know, they when especially when the u.s joined the war on the side of the britain when u.s was you know neutral it was you know people just had their points of view right but when the u.s entered the war on the side of britain then what does this mean for german immigrants who are still loyal to to germany or austrians who are loyal to austria or what what about czechs you know we like the ones we met in, in at who maybe feel don't feel this kindness towards austria but maybe still have patriotism or maybe they're anti uh the Central Powers, because of their their nationalist sentiments, you know, it's it's a very these are very complex um, stories, and they're a big part of the the social history of the United States of of the World War, of the World War One period. Less so in World War Two, I, I think, by you know, those loyalties had died down by World War Two, but in World War One, they were still pretty strong, still very much an immigrant society, still very much you know in the aftermath of decades of open immigration from all parts of Europe and many of those parts of Europe were at war in, in 1914 and that all comes home to to Nebraska and these small towns on the frontier that book that that part of the story is called uh, it's in it's in book three it's called sunrise on the prairie and then book four is where my view the novel goes becomes a little less interesting to me um, um, it becomes just, just much more history at war. And I, I am more troubled by what I read in those later parts, but book four is called the voyage of the, and An- she and this is basically the ship that carries them. So the whole, a whole of book four, and I want to say it's, it's not incredibly long, but it's still like 40, 50 pages. It just covers him on the ship with the rest of his unit going to France and the people they meet and the struggles they have while while traveling the atlantic to to get to france so that's what happens in the 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 second hundred pages the second third of this or so of this novel well anyways back to back to book three um sun sunrise on the prairie we we learn right away that uh wants to get involved in missionary work and to participate that and she knows people who have been there in in china in particular where where they're thinking going and, you know, Claude is essentially indifferent to this probability. He doesn't really seem to care that much that his wife wants to, you know, go to <laughs> go to school somewhere else and, and essentially leave him behind in Nebraska. In fact, Enid's father is trying to talk him into talking her out of going to China. And here's Claude's reply. I could go to her, but what good would it do? I'm not in sympathy with her ideas and it would only fret her. You can see she's made up her mind not to come home. I don't believe in one people trying to force their way of religion on another. I'm not that kind of man. China has been drummed into my ears. It seems like a long way to go to hunt for trouble, don't it? A man ain't got much control over his life, Claude. Oh, sorry, this is um, this is Mr. Royce uh, complaining about this. Anyways, um, but... Claude himself doesn't really want to do too much. He him, him his own religious beliefs aren't very doctrinaire. He, he seems to have pretty loose religious beliefs too. So he really doesn't really follow and understand. Uh, Enid's obsession and fascination with 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 missionary work. Eventually, Enid and and Claude and and Claude have a fight over this. And Enid's point of view with this is is that she wants to live a selfless life and the way she can live a selfless life is by actually, you know, committing to to this religious mission. Quote, If I'm glad, it's because you're not it's because you're not willing to govern our lives by Christian ideals. There's something in you that rebels all the time. So many important questions have come up since our marriage and you have been indifferent or sarcastic about each one of them. You want to live a purely selfish life. End quote. So that's her opinion of, of Claude. Now Claude thinks she's sort of neglecting the family, neglecting the home, and also not feeling like home. He he says at one point that you know this this isn't your home. This 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 farm that that we own or that we're running. I guess he doesn't quite own it yet because his father's still alive. But this is a, a big source of of tension between these two characters. But eventually, the marriage more or less just dissolves because and he does want to pursue her her li- religious pursuits. And then with the need gone basically all there is to do in this section of the novel then is to is to talk about the lead up to to the war and and these are the years before before the u.s entered the war and but the news is coming in day after day and people are very interested in it because that is as i said a lot of these people's homelands and it's their family and relatives back in europe that are fighting this war and they're looking for news of, of who died or you know the how the war's going who's winning and all that. And, but once the United States joins the war, then it becomes much more a, a patriotic pursuit to support the war effort. It's less of a kind of a, a personal interest and in one that people have to engage in as patriots, as, as loyal Americans. And I think Catherine does a good job of describing how pretty much overnight you start to get all these patriotic symbols in, in towns. Uh, across America the, the Towns our character sees you see the flags and you see all the different symbolism of, of support for for the American war effort now a lot of these young people of course they don't have any memory of of war at least not a massive war a war on the scale of World War One you know the United States had like what was it the Spanish American War and of course the Indian Wars but those weren't fought by many people and as important as they were to the history of American Empire they weren't uh, you know, it's a profound experience for that generation of, of Americans because it's not that many people served in those conflicts. The last war that really engulfed a generation, of course, was the Civil War. And there aren't many people around that still remember that or have experience of it. But one person who does, does, does dwell with the Wheeler family, and that's the servant Mahalia and I talked about her last time. She has a very, very interesting backstory. There's a, a rich enough of a backstory here that she could be the subject of an entire novel herself and Mahaley's always comparing this war with the Civil War, comparing how soldiers dress. she's actually shocked that the soldiers aren't wearing blue and she you know is kind of actually horrified that people want to fight because she knows the horrors of war firsthand and and the kind of the enthusiasm for war is something that very much disturbs her. And then eventually Claude does make the decision, to go he has got not that much left for him in Nebraska his wife is going off to China you know so he finds purpose in in this decision to go to war so it's around this time in the story that he makes the decision to join up in the army volunteer and to go to the war but we have a bunch of really fascinating stuff here especially with the emerging security state right you might know the the American Civil Liberties Union got its start during world war one it was called something else at the time maybe just the civil liberties union or something um but these were the f- really the first amendment was not something that had to be actively defended it wasn't like a political issue so much it, it was of course in the constitution and you know and people made use of it and the press was you know you had your you know the f- uh, press as free as one could imagine in you know in american history at that time a lot of them were party newspapers and very loyal to one particular perspective so it's not fully the idea of a third estate yet but you know there there was a free press this world war one was the first substantial challenge to the free state or the the free speech uh, tradition in the United States as you know people were in prison for things they said uh, the most famous example of this of course is Eugene Debs who You know actually ran for president sometime in the 1920s from jail because he was serving a sentence uh, for essentially a kind of treason because he he was encouraging people not to serve and to resist the draft and this was was a crime so uh, you had not only the suppression of speech, but you also had a very effective and aggressive propaganda campaign. You know, the We Want You poster with Uncle Sam Point and you. That was from World War I. But a lot of other propaganda posters. You had the, the Four Minute Men, I think they were called. These were men who would go to, like, theaters or public meetings and give small, short speeches in support of the war. You had all kinds of controls in the economy. So the relationship between the state and the individual were changing. And that's, of course, is part of the progressive era, too, where these changes were already beginning to take place in different areas of life. But the war really accelerated and changed this. And the ACLU, or what became the ACLU, kind of stepped in as a voice for freedom of speech in a time when those rights were being curtailed. Not that Willa Cather gets too much into all that stuff, but she does have a very interesting um, chapter, uh, chapter 9 of book 3, where we see cases brought before judges about disloyal Americans or people who are getting brought before a judge because, you know, someone heard what they said at a bar or someone heard what they said just walking around about how they hope Germany wins the war or or how they don't like Britain and they can't believe America supporting Britain or whatever it might be. And we actually have characters who, you know, who are brought before the judge and, you know, sometimes they'll deny it. Sometimes they they fully say, that's what I said, I have a right to say it. And then they'd be fined or punished in, in some way. You know here the the man is just sort of fined it's, it's a substantial fine though i think it was like two hundred dollars or something for so it's that's not a, an insignificant amount of money in those times for for farmers but you know there was punishment for people who are speaking their mind about the war so there was not a, a free speech system at the time and i think Catherine is quite good and i really enjoyed those sections where she introduced those those themes so he goes off to, to essentially basic training, Claude does. And we get, um, you know, the way Cather presents these young boys, these young men going off to war is a bit, opti- like, a little too optimistic, a little too idealistic about the realities that they would be facing. Quote, once seated in the cottontail, he knew they had gone into his own country when, where he knew every farm he passed knew the land even when he did not know the owner, what sort of crop to yield, and about how much it was worth. He did not recognize these farms with the pleasure he had anticipated because he was so angry about the indignities Mrs. Voigt had suffered. He was still burning with his fist ardor of the enlisted man. He believed that he was going abroad with an expeditionary force that would make war without rage, with uncompromising generosity and chivalry. Most of his friends at camp shared his quixotic ideas. They had come together about farms and shops and mills and mines, boys from colleges and boys from tough joints in big cities, sheep herders, streetcar drivers, plumbers assistants, billiard makers. Claude had seen hundreds of them when he first came in, showmen in cheap, loud sports suits, ranch boys in knit waistcoats, machinists in the, with the grease still on their fingers, farmhands like Dan in their one Sunday coat. Some of them carry paper s- suitcases tied up with rope. Some bought with brought all they had in a blue handkerchief but they all came to give and not to ask and what they offered was just themselves their big red hands their strong backs their steady honest modest look in their eyes sometimes when he had helped the medical examiner claude had noticed the anxious expression in his faces in the long lines of waiting men they seemed to be saying if i'm good enough take me i'll stand by he found them like that to work with serviceable good nature and eager to learn so this is the description of, of the kind of the naive, optimistic uh, young man going off to war for for the first time. Uh, now, part of that story of the story will then be the alienation that these young men feel as they as they see the horrors of war. But I don't even think that's really Cather's focus. She's really zeroing in on Claude's the solution to Claude's problem, which is his his uh, restlessness. Now, before he finally goes to war, though, he stops back home. He sees Gladys. Gladys is the woman who, what he thought was going to marry Bayless. He was actually courting her for a while, but then he got the sense that she was going to marry her, his brother Bayless. So he gave up on that. And then he finds out that Gladys is not going to marry Bayless and actually that she preferred Claude. So that's a bit of a a irony because he's already kind of given up on his wife and his, I guess, closer to his first choice for wife, you know, he would have had a chance with had he pursued her differently. Um, now Mrs. Wheeler does see him before Claude leaves for war and she feels very betrayed that Claude is going off to war so in here we're, we're reminded I think of of the Song of the Lark and that important novel in which we have a character who to be uh, to be a great artist has to turn her back essentially on her family and her hometown and her upbringing and that tension that frustration that, that the family feels you know the character is fine she becomes a successful musician there but in the process she has to basically leave her her town behind that's a theme Catherine comes back to quite a lot in these novels and then this leads us into book four the voyage of the and she and she sees and this is the the voyage of the, just essentially the ship across the Atlantic so it you know not that not, not that much happens but a few things happen it's not something I you know was too into reading you know I, I actually read a lot of sailor fiction and, and you know Melville's one of my favorite I started this podcast with with Melville actually but I didn't quite get too much excitement out of this um section certainly you have Claude feeling a great degree of, of a lot of fantasies about sailing and about ships and about voyages and it's just his old wanderlust coming back and by this point it's almost a bit annoying I think in for the for this character because he's just it's so ridiculous in a way how you know he feels a war can fill in whatever he's missing in his life i guess i i understand someone may be feeling a profound patriotic duty to serve in the war or a religious duty or a you know a duty to one's family or to protect the homeland or whatever but that's none of those are re- the reasons claude goes to war it's it's almost like he's bored so he goes to war and you know and i think that might be a part of the part of the no- problem with the novel too is you know you he's bored so much so you get kind of bored reading about him um, and when he does ha- get excited, it's it's kind of with these delusions of, of grandeur. Uh, so this is on page. This is actually chapter one of book four. Wooden ships, when great passion and great aspiration stirred a country, shapes like these formed along the shores to be the sheath of its valor. Nothing Claude had ever seen or heard or read or thought had made it so clear as these untried wooden bottoms. They were the very impulse. They were the potential act. They were going over the drawn arrow, the great unuttered cry. They were fate. They were tomorrow. You know, I I don't know, it's it's kind of silly. It's almost funny, uh, the way it's portrayed here that someone actually had these thoughts. Um, about going yeah about going to war. Uh, what what the ship does let him do though, that's let him meet, lets him meet people from around the world and around America and you know, America is this melting pot, but as we see in May Antonia, there's a lot of like regional kind of tensions and, and ethnic tensions, even in these small towns and people know who's bohemian. So in the sense, they don't really melt together. They, they remain kind of their, with their ethnic identities that you see a lot of that in my Antonia here. I guess it's a it seems to be a broader um, tablet for him to interact with with different groups. It's, it's less it's less grounded in the parochial. Uh, which I guess is something that that Claude seems to need, but um, yeah, a lot of interesting stuff goes on. There's the music on the ship is is kind of interesting stuff, where Claude reflects on and, and experiences all the different music and 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 kind of cultural backgrounds of the music that he hears on the ship. Eventually, he he experiences death, and I think that's the main thing that Claude that changes Claude in this part of the novel is he he works basically in the ship's medical you know he he has some higher education for for, so he becomes essentially a nurse and he works in the medical and a lot of young men are dying of illnesses and you know diseases and things and getting you know and dying and this is something that that Claude is is dealing with in his time on, on the ship still Claude sees the this period on the ship as kind of a transition to adulthood at one point Cather writes that he he literally in, on the ship sets says goodbye to his childhood. Um, in it's also a lot about his quest for for personal freedom, and that's talked about a lot here too. And then um, they finally arrive at France, and that leads us to the fifth and final book, the fifth and final section of of one of ours, which is called um, "Biding the Eagles of the West Fly On." And that's a quote. I, I don't quite. Uh, I'll have to look up where that quote exactly came from. If it was in the text, I, I must have missed it. But uh, it might be a poem or something that, that Catherine was referring to. But that's the f- fifth and final bo- uh, book of, of one of ours. And I'll look at that in the next episode. So sorry this episode was so short. I, I guess I'm just struggling to, to get too much into one of ours. It's so far my least favorite of the, of the Will of Catherine novels that I've looked at. But maybe you have different experiences with one of ours and with this particular World War I novel. So please share your thoughts with me. You can send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com or you can make a review or um, subscribe to this podcast. And if you do so, please take the time to to leave your comments and your thoughts about about uh, this episode or other episodes uh, from other, about other books that I've I've talked about. Um, so uh, that that does it. So the next in the next episode, I'll finish up my thoughts on one of ours. I'll I'll talk about the war experience of Claude Wheeler. Briefly, the, the the events. There's there's not there's kind of a lot to talk about, but also I think there's not that much important to talk about. It's it's kind of a it's it's a war story, so you have a lot of these kind of wartime cliches. But there's there's three or four things that are really important in really putting a closure to Claude's character and and what does he find it the question of what does he find in France that he couldn't find in America is really at the heart of what we care about by this point so that's what we're going to talk about in book five and then I'll go back and I'll look at some of the themes overall themes of the novel and what I found most most interesting so that does it so I'll see you next time with my final thoughts of of one of ours and my final thoughts on Willa Cather for for a while I, I will eventually I hope if this podcast continues to, to get to the other Willa Cather novels, there's the Library of America has two more volumes of her works, um, one on her later novels, and I think one has more of her poetry and maybe some more short stories and maybe some of her prose, um, or her not her prose, uh, her nonfiction writing. I don't I don't have that volume. I think that was the most recent of the three volumes that they published, and then I, and I don't own it yet. But I'm not going to look at those now. I I, I don't I don't think I can endure at this moment another Willa Cather kind of um binge but um i'll be i have some ideas it it depends a lot on my schedule too what i'll what i'll do i may take a hiatus for a little while just because i don't know if i can finish a book in time before i have to go back to taiwan and then get ready to go to china to start my new career so if i if i feel i can fit in theater dreiser's american tragedy i'll try to do that but that's still up in the air i maybe like it may be best I take a little bit of a, of a hiatus or focus on the Philip um, Dick book club, the my kind of companion companion series to this one on the same channel. So, anyways, I you know that's that stuff's not that important, but it's you know I don't quite know where I'm going to go when I'm done with Cather, but I'm definitely not going to continue with more Catherine novels right now. So that'll be all. I'll I'll put some of my final thoughts about about Willa Cather in next episode as well. So as always, thank you so much for listening, and I will. See you next time.